I am so thrilled that Pantheon Podcast is now aligned with Adam and Eve dolls. I am sure you can figure out why it's the right fit for me, so to speak. And right now they're offering free stuff to spice up your bedroom along with your first order. You can select almost any one item for 50% off and then Adam and Eve will load you up with free stuff. <laughs> Enter offer code PJPARTY at checkout and get 10 Hotsy Totsy free gifts. A sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And listen to this, you'll get six free spicy movies. And shipping is free. What a bargain. My fave is Clone a Willy in all different colors. Listen, you can be your own Cynthia Plastercaster right at home with your man, okay? So that code again is PJPARTY at adamandeve.com. Hi, everyone. It's Michael Nesmith on the Pantheon Podcast. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon Podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. This is Miss Pamela's pajama party on Pantheon Podcasts. And here we are again. Gosh, I think this is my 15th or 16th podcast. I'm so thrilled to be able to do this and share my friends with you and music I love and musicians who I think are, are worthy of a, some of my fabulous time and your time. And, you know, a lot of people know me as a groupie, and a groupie is just someone who loves music so much they want to be around the creators. And, it, you know, it inspires us. Groupies are inspired by music. Male, female, in between, doesn't matter. It's all about the music and the love of it. Um, right now, unfortunately, my tours, you know, aren't happening. My rock tours of Hollywood and Laurel Canyon. But as soon as this mess is over, I'm going to be doing those again. And you can read my column at pleasekillme.com. I just wrote one about <laughs> about my very first live band that turned me on when I was 13. They rehearsed in, in a garage across the street. They're called the Rainbow Rockers. I just wrote that column. And I hope you listen to all the Pantheon podcasts. It's, we're, we've got some really high ratings, dolls. We are all music all the time. We have like how many now? 30, 40 podcasters. Incredible. So please listen to Pleasant Gaiman. She's a good friend of mine. She has her own podcast now with us. Pretty thrilling. And tell your friends to listen to us because we are cool, okay? You're the cool kid if you're here with us.
today's guest is pretty special to me since I was married to him for 14 years. Um, finally, we have the great, fascinating, the witty, the unique Michael DeBar on the show today. Yay! <laughs> so, glad you're with us. Hang in. <laughs> Well, hello, Michael Daybar. Excuse me, who who are you again? <laughs> oh, you know, I we have so a similar name. Wait, wait, I am so thrilled to have Michael Daybar here. It's a you know, I've wanted him to be on the show for quite some time. Now he has some spectacular, as he would say, thing to promote. So we've got him here. <laughs> we are lucky ducks today. Oh, I'm a lucky duck. That's our band name. Let's do an album. <laughs> the Lucky Ducks. I like it. Yeah, the Lucky Ducks. It'd be huge. We cheer, <laughs> we cheer everybody up. We cheer everybody up. The Lucky Ducks. Well, I was feeding ducks yesterday, and they cheered me up. Really? You know, it's so interesting you say that, because animals are becoming really important during this dreadful um, thing that we're going through, this dreadful virus that has been treated so ridiculously by our leaders. Um, yes. And I, my cats have, have really been very, very comforting. The, the bliss of the animal who doesn't know what's going on. They I don't know. know they don't know. On. So look. for that brief oh, moment oh, on your lap, it's not going on for you either. You know? Look, Daddy. Oh, look, you're picking up your little... I was right little, here. Look, gosh, that little kitten has grown so I much. I have a new kitten, everyone. His yeah. name is Pico. And Nick loves Tijuana. him. Right? Our son adores him. Yes, Nick just loves this kitten. That's so great. <laughs> That's so great. We might, you know, it's so interesting us doing this together because people will think they're wirelessly listening to our conversations over the phone. Well, that and, is and kind of that. Know. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? They've, they've like plugged in. <laughs> yes, here we are. we are. Private conversation. But that's that's great. And uh, we will always, always um, be connected. There's uh, no way that we wouldn't be. Yes, we've always stayed connected, even when, you know, we had a breakup like people do. Uh, but we always put our son first. So we uh, kept this incredible friendship, which now we are like siblings. Yes. We are, we are both only children and we have an only child. Yeah, I think the older you get, the, the bigger your family becomes if you're open to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do believe that all of the people that listen to me on the radio are, are, you know, fans. Absolutely not. I would never use that word. I've never used that word anyway. Either intimate strangers um, or, 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 or family. It's a family. It's a family. It's a rock and roll family. It's a tribe. I believe we're in a tribe. I, I, you know, and that's the way I look at it. People that enjoy what one does and people, and indeed people who don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, Michael thing. has been on Sirius XM, like one of the most 
important DJs over there on Little Steven's Underground Garage for what, five, six years now, Dad? Seven. Going on seven. seven. Going on seven. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh it's about it's about six and a half years that I've been at Little Steven's Underground Garage Series Six on Channel Twenty One. And it's a it's <laughs> Channel Twenty One, everybody. Yeah, beautiful place to be. You know, great music, great rock music, great soul music, rockabilly, you name it, all different genres, the key. And I think the authenticity of that music is just that, you know, it's authentic music made by people in a studio. Yes. Actual, actual instruments being held well, in looking, hands. Looking at each other, you know. Yeah. You know, just like <laughs> looking at each other. Can you imagine? You know, I have nothing against or negate technology or the way people are making music today at all. I mean, it's fantastic music, but uh, there's something about that, that the mystery of, of you know, you could be in a band, you could be fighting, you could have lost the cocaine somewhere, you could have whatever, you've done something terrible. And, <laughs> but, but the intimacy of like when you're playing music together transcends all pain and all arguments and all rage and anger. Suddenly you're one unit. You know, that's what I loved about being in bands. Yeah, well, look at Pete and Roger from The Who. Somehow they managed to get on stage together and somehow make it work, even though they, I don't think they actually speak. They despise so, each I, other. Yeah, um, is, but it's... Is the facts. But, but yes, they make it work. That's yeah. not really what I'm talking about. That's the, you know, that's 50 years of making records and they have come to their own way of doing it. The joy, and I think the reason, you know, that I've lasted this long is because I love being in bands, you know, and I've been in 105 bands now. <laughs> you have. Yeah. Let's hear some of the names of your bands. Silverhead was the first band. Yes. Which was this mascara. I was there for that. Gato band, which you know very well. Um, and the second one was Detective on Swan Song, signed by Jimmy and Robert, Page and Plant. The third one was Checkered Pass with Steve Jones and Nigel Harrison and Clem from Blondie and Steve, of course, from the Pistols and Tony Sales from Bowie's Tin Machine. That was an incredible band. Rockin' band, great live, unbelievable record, not so great live, the greatest rock band. But I do believe that every band is capable of being the greatest rock and roll band on any given night. I do believe totally. that. I know, I know you do. Yes. And and depending on who's in the audience and, and, and who, you know, it's... You can say often that was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And sometimes there's only a dozen people there with you. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's live music rules, you know. I know you, you travel thousands of miles to see some obscure, you know, singer songwriter. Well, Todd Springsteen. Dion is. Come on. No, no, no. But you will go to great efforts yes. to see. Um, you know, I, I will drive miles to see Todd Snyder, for instance, or Red. Yeah. My favorites. Or you know. Mike Stinson, you know, oh, yes, I will. brilliant musicians that have not reached the stratosphere. So therefore, you're going to see the music and hear the music and feel yeah. the music yeah. live. And I mean, I think that that's what it's all about. Live music is everything. You know, that's when you really bond as a band. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote my column this month about the Rainbow Rockers. That's great. Your and they were, I was incredible. 13. They started playing across the street, rehearsing. And that was a life-changing moment, week, month, a few months we hung out. It was like, what? There's, these musicians are breathing across the street? It was, it, you know, they're alive. 
The oh, only breathing I heard was heavy breathing from other boys in the boarding school. That's the only I breathing <laughs> I heard. You know, I wish I'd heard the rainbow rockers in the garage next door. Unfortunately, <laughs> I got, hey, Day Bar, would you go and go get the, my potatoes? Or whatever it is, you know, like we had to do that. We had to, we were ordered around by older boys. Yes. That must not have been fun for you. Well, it's in the documentary, Who Do You Want Me To Be? Very, yes. You know, we talk about that. That's the, what we're going to talk about. The hypocrisy um, of the British aristocracy. Michael's documentary uh, f features him, of course, mainly. But he has a lot of really fun, interesting characters talking about him and their friendships, and etc. I'm in it, of course. Our son Nick is in it. His wife, Britta, is in it. And all kinds of kind of superstars. Gabriel Burns, Steve Jones, John Taylor, um, Ed Begley Jr., Stephen Van Zandt, of course, my boss. Um, a lot of really great people. I was very, very lucky along the way to be inspired and become friends with people that taught me a great deal. Yes, but you're, <laughs> you're a wild thing. I, uh, I know you get up at 5 a.m. and you do your show and you run and you do all this stuff. Michael is my age. We met on his 26th birthday. 58. But, but uh, <laughs> he, he's in such incredible shape. And his skin is still beautiful skin. How do you get it from, he, his skin does not sag, does it, Michael? Nivea. <laughs> it's not really Nivea. I'm not kidding. It's genetics. Well, it could be. <laughs> I, I don't know. I never knew him, did I? You know, well, Michael's uh, documentary is on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's on every, most streaming platforms. But, you know, the, the, the whole thing about, you know, health is you, you've got to move your body. You have to, I don't care how you do it, but you've got to keep moving, especially now because we're confined to the couch and Netflix. Oh, boy, so are we You've got to get off your ass and out, you know, for at least an hour a day and keep moving. And I would stress that, of course, there are deeper things. There's yoga, there's Pilates, there's all the rest of it. A good diet, drink lots of water and um, all of that. Don't smoke, don't drink. Uh, and just love each other, you know. I mean, that's the ultimate. <laughs> yes, wouldn't it be nice? Honestly, yeah, yeah. I but actually I had that drinks the last two nights because I've been on, sad about Mercy. So sure. I've had some drinks. But Really? What did you drink? I drink vodka, you know. Wow. <laughs> How many years? You have 38, 39 years sober? Anyway, Michael's right, sober yeah. for a very long time. He's yeah. inspired so many people and helped yeah. so many people get sober. Well, it's by attraction, isn't it? It's not by promotion. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really important. I, I can't say, hey, man, you know, especially when no, something doesn't work. By. You know, when I did Live Aid and I joined the power station, I remember those boys, they're beautiful, beautiful people, John and Andy Taylor. And they were young, early 20, 20s, millionaires, Beatles, Duran Duran. And then we did that band and, uh, you know, our own plane, bowls of Coke. And I never for one minute said, uh, fellas, you know, life is so much better without <laughs> that. You know, what would I, I'd rather jump out the fucking plane, you know. Yeah, well, it, the private you jet. you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, private jet. Um, <laughs> you can't do that, you know. You and But I, I do, they're both sober now. I do believe that it's just because I had a lot of balls and fun and enjoyed myself, you know. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they saw that. that. Yeah, you right. don't need that to be a rock star. No, no. Because a lot, of t a lot of times people believe that that 
lifestyle is is part of being a rock star and it's just very clever of you to observe i I believe that keith richard's habit was more important to a lot of people than the songs they were writing yeah sure they were more inspired by keith's lifestyle shall we say than actually writing a good chorus uh living vicariously through them Uh, you know people do that with but but then they decide gee maybe i'll do that myself well (laughs) you get caught there's a moment where you get owned you know, for, for a little while, it's great, and you have fun with it, and then suddenly you're owned by it, and you need it desperately. You know full well what I'm going through because I put you through it. Yes, yes. It was you not know, easy. It was, it not was easy. awful. It was despicable and, uh, you know, spiritually criminal to, to put somebody through that. The problem being, of course, it one, there's nothing one can do about it once you're um, addicted. And, um, you know, and so that, and also, good Lord, being owned, you know, by something. Yeah, by something, exactly. But it's can't you ridiculous. be owned by a, a health kick also? Um, no, because that, that's unhealthy. Because you're looking at it as something that you need. Um, you know, it, it's something that is, you know, there's a big difference, you know, because you get these, I think that's called anorexia. Yes. <laughs> you go too far. Yes. You know, yes. the thing is you embrace yeah. health and a life of health because it's much cooler. I mean, your your skin is better and, you, and yes. your love oh, life is of better. Of course, yes. And, and you're, you know, it's better. You know, but, but to be owned by anything, even vegetables, is uncool. <laughs> so look out, you vegan maniacs. Oh, well. <laughs> the vegan maniacs, there you go. Everything is vegan. <laughs> I know that everything's always a band name. Everything's a band name, yeah. Nick and I always come up with band names. Of course you do. I love doing that with our kid. That's a, my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. So so tell me about how this documentary came about. And, you know, I, your life has always, it's, I've always thought it deserved a documentary. Um, you know, a peek into your fascinating existence. So how did it come about? I was on a show, um, one t- some TV show, and the producer, writer of that show, Josh Weinstein, um, came up to me and said, look, you've been through a lot. I want to make a film. Can I make a film about you? And he hadn't, hadn't finished the sentence <laughs> <laughs> before I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. He said, there's one condition. I said, what's that? He says, you cannot look over my shoulder during the course of this. Mm. And I, I went, my God, that's ballsy, you know. And uh, and I didn't for years. I never looked at a frame, as you know. I never looked yeah. at a frame of that movie until he finished it. And then when he finished it and I looked at it, I, it was a heavy th- t- moment in my life. Tell, you know? tell me how it made you feel to see your life kind of unspool in 90 minutes. You lucky bastard. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, how grateful I was that I met you and met, um, everybody in my life, you know, it just, it, for every dreadful place I found myself, you know, being an orphan, which is essentially what I was, and then people become so important, not parental, but somebody you trust. Everything is about trust. Who do I trust? Nobody, uh, you know, in the beginning. And I had to learn. And the people in the movie are just another trust lesson. Yeah. So I went from class to class to class. 
you know, from different person and found out, okay, this person's trustworthy, so I can believe in that. So it was, it's a progression of belief system. Everybody in that, in that movie has taught me something. I have learned more from the mistakes than I have from the triumphs, that's for damn sure. And isn't that the name of your latest band? Well, the name of the band, you know, I mean, obviously I have a thousand projects in my head musically, you know, with the musical that I'm writing about, The Sard, with Roger Greenwald, that's of prime importance to me now. But The Mistakes is my rock band yes. uh, that we go out and play because it's just such a great word. It's such a punky word and such a funny word to me, you know. And it's true. <laughs> I mean, the best songs I've ever written have been Mistakes. I mean, I've come up with a word and 10 minutes later, suddenly there's a song. I mean, everybody says the same thing, whether it be John Lennon or, or your neighbor. You yeah. know, the best thing comes to you when you're not thinking, when you're not planning, you feel. Oh, totally. And you write, and like you as a writer, one of the greatest writers in the world, top 10 rock and roll books of all time in every known magazine or any critic have put you in the top 10 of literature, rock and roll literature, and deservedly so. Thank and, you. And you wrote it, I think, from a physical sense, from an emotional sense. You can't, you know, scholastically write a, a journalistic hook. <laughs> yeah. Like my biggest hook was, who do you want me to be to yeah. make you sleep with me? Yep. You know, I which, know. Right? And you so, got the great film title out of it. Fantastic right. title. Right. Because it meant something. It means something, you know. But Jumping Jack Flash is the same thing. The thing about Jumping Jack Flash is just quickly to, to actually put this in, in order metaphysically is he became Jumping Jack Flash the minute he wrote that song. The minute that <laughs> song came out, he was mythological. He went from rock star to icon overnight. And by the way, that was the first song that Jimmy Miller, the great Jimmy Miller produced on that right. record. That was the right. first song they did together. And it made Mick Jagger into the Jumping Jack Flash that we know today at 77. Yeah. Yes, in 77. So dig that. Huh. So he transcended, I think, from just being a rock star into something way more culturally important with that song. So yeah. it's not like it's some clever phrase. But yeah, I'm sure it, <clears throat> he didn't plan that either. You know, no. That, that's what you're saying. It's, yeah, yes, it's not no planned plans. out. No. It's just You have to be open. You know how I am. You have to have yeah. an open vessel. Um, yes. Dylan, so Dylan says he has no idea where those early songs came from. Well, I was listening to a lot all along the watchtower this morning when I was working out. You know, I have a stationary bike now. Uh, uh, that's my new obsession, the stationary bike. Oh, okay. Which good. is clearly the name of my next band. <laughs> and we. <laughs> <laughs> we, we never go on tour is the name of the album so, <laughs> we stay in the same place so all along the watchtower and i'm going excuse me the words in all along oh, the watchtower oh i know come on and you're going wait a minute you know the, the, who could possibly put that stuff together and, no and be it so obscure and clear at the same time and his new songs on oh, his new it. album. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it if is. anyone else had put that out, some new new person right now today, uh, no there, one be, would stop talking about it. I mean, well, the interesting thing about the Dylan, where he stands today is, it, I love it. Somebody said to me, hey, Michael, who's the new Bob Dylan? I said, Bob Dylan. <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, who's, gonna, who's, yeah. I love that. Who's going to, you know. <laughs> 
He was number one a few weeks ago. He had the number one rock and roll track in the country a few weeks ago. I know. And it was his first number one. You know how insane that is? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> that's that's even more fantastic. I didn't you know, cotton on to that. But that's, yeah. that's, that's how incredibly important he is. But, you know, I mean, everybody's important. You know, Billie Eilish is important. You know, I think if you yeah, open, it's important to whoever's hearing it and then whatever exactly. it does to them, it's the same. That's what groupiedom, of course, is, is, yeah. you know, you feel that that's right. you want it yourself. Yeah. And then when, you know, I have this whole thing about rating when people say, oh, they were so underrated. So I've had so underrated, whatever the band happens to be uh, that they're, or they're overrated. I go, who's doing the rating? <laughs> yes, that's Who right. is this rater? Where is this? Right, tell me where he lives, or she lives, or where they live, and I'll go and you know smack him in the head, because it's ridiculous. It's what you love. You yes, know? it's all I so individual, of course. People are, people are trying to say they love them by saying they're underrated. You know, I love them, but they're underrated. Yes, yes, That's, right. You know, so I'm not being. Rude. I know something you don't know. You know, you're you're just not with it. You 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 don't get this band, you know. But I do. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of that. There's a lot of that. <laughs> And there's yeah. a lot, of, and it's also a sort of a psychedelic way of describing that you love them and you feel they should be more rated. Yes, that's but, true. But I always answer with the people who know, no, mm -hmm. and that's enough. And you connect with those people, you know, like a Springsteen crowd where you and I have been many times together. Yeah. The 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 united feeling. The it's it's almost impossible to describe that. Hey, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Well, it's tribalism. It's like, you know, Martin Luther King. You know, it's the same principle. You've got somebody there saying something that you believe in. Um, yeah. But the addition to uh, rock and roll and, and the tribalism of rock and roll is this music to enhance the communicative um, efforts. Therefore, the, the audience is now becomes one. So when, when that happens, this is a very strange metaphysical thing, you know, where we all are the same. Because I've been saying that for a long time, especially on the air. I say we are all the same. We share the same secrets. I don't believe in fandom or iconic behavior. I think we're all here with the same values, you know. And of course, we're individualized. We have our own tastes. But I mean, we're here as one. We so, are one, yeah. I, you know, I yeah. feel that way, of course. So when Lennon, you know, when they wrote "All You Need Is Love," um, you know, it made so much sense in the '60s. You know, it just made so much sense. But it wasn't time for the world to fall in love with love, and I argue that it might not be right now either. No, I was just going to say, what about right now? There's more divisiveness out there than ever in my lifetime. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a tremendous amount of division, more so than ever. Our, our corrupt leaders um, clearly have, have mapped that out. Um, whoever those leaders are, I'll leave to your imagination, because it's not for me to, you know, espouse the virtues of anybody. It's very clear that we are being divided as, yep. a, as a political ploy, um, yes. whether it by other countries or whatever it is, I'm sure you guys know what time it is on that level, but that and the plague, this dreadful plague that is going over the land, over the land, all over the world. All over the world. Is no one is, no one's exempt. And of course that makes, that should make us, bring us together. It should make us think, wow, if that person across the road 
no matter what color they are, how old they are, they can get that thing just like I can. You think it would be a uniting force, but very good wow. point, beautiful point, and I, I absolutely uh, concur with it. It's, um, but it is being used politically. Oh yeah, you know, so that that is probably the peak of cruelty. Yeah, it is. I agree with that. But let's go somewhere else now. Let's talk about the day we met. Sure. New York, New York City. <laughs> New for me, you know. Um, I just landed in, in America, I believe, uh, at that time, a country I was completely in love with, which makes sense when I get to you, because there was a movie that you were starring in, and Keith Moon had been employed to play a rock star in this yes. movie. <laughs> Keith Moon jumped out of the window of a hotel holding a TV and was unavailable. <laughs> he was unavailable. I was seeing him at the time. He was one of my bows. Yeah. And he didn't show up. He did not show up, um, which is not unusual for Keith Moon. <laughs> um, and, the, uh -oh. and, and then my agent uh, was contacted. So I, I think I belong to some big promoting agency, and the people that were making your movies said, "Is there, is there anybody? Is there any you know, like there rock any, and roll? Yeah, anybody, anybody a, any rock star in town who can act? Yeah, and yeah. God forbid they chose me. And, and of course, I'd been up for three days and nights. You know. Yep. And um, arrive on the set, see you from behind, which is my favorite word. And I had shorts on that Betsy Johnson Betty actually Grable. made for me. It was like a swimsuit. It was a Betty Grable swimsuit. It looked like it, but it was shorts. It was shorts, yeah. <laughs> and you had your back to me, and, you, and, um, and I staggered on there, weighing 19 pounds or whatever. And, With uh, a silver lemonade jumpsuit? Yes. And silver. girls' flats. And flat, like Cabezio's kind of. No, they were actually girl shoes. They were girls' shoes, yeah. Like Bolin used to wear, like Mark Bolin used to wear. Yeah, they, they, they had little straps on them. Yeah, little, white, white, white shoes. White shoes. Oh, scuffed, oh, yeah. though, scuffed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they had to be scuffed. If you're going to wear women's shoes, ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen, wear scuffed white women's <laughs> shoes, you know. I think and, those were the same shoes that week we were walking down the street. We are getting to know each other. And the heel popped off of one of them, and you yeah. just took off your shoes or the lady's shoes. Yeah, yeah, we hadn't seen those shoes since. Well, and, uh, no, you know what? They were red velvet high-heeled shoes. Oh, those. Okay, those were a different that? pair. All right, and, the, and the, yeah, <laughs> this is a few days after we met. You know. Yes. And I remember walking along, and I never carried money. I had no money. You had the money. I had no money because it would ruin the line of my jumpsuit. I know, like, no like change. Twins. Oh God, no, 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 hell no. You threw the change out in the threw street. The change. Yes. You know, that's that's still a thing that Nick really enjoys, our son who, I, you know, we, we talk about that sometimes, <laughs> how his dad never <laughs> carried change around because it made a lump in his skin tight trousers and he would just throw it away. No matter how much it was, if there were many, many quarters involved, they would go into the street. <laughs> <laughs> that's stupid. You know, and that's just the, the, the one version of how stupid I was in those days. But, but it was, but it, but it was, you know, it was weird. I mean, I'd never had to deal with money, you know, ever really, because I came out of drama school and went right into, you know, acting and making money. But anyway, back to our thing. So we walk yes. on the set, and there you are, and I fell in love, and I've been married to somebody else three weeks prior. 
Yeah, yes, and, and it, she is in your documentary, kindly. She she certainly is. Um, yeah. She so, certainly is, which is fantastic when you it think is, about it. It is fantastic. All, yeah, all three of your wives are in your documentary. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Britta and I are very close. I just love her so much. Yeah, she loves you so much. And it's, it's a fantastic feeling, you know, it really is, because everybody knows everything. See, the thing is, secrets suck. Yeah. Because you have to remember them. And I'm yeah. getting, you know, and I think the older you and get, it, the less you remember. <laughs> so and secrets you know, can be you know. the, uh, when when you think a secret's about to be revealed the the feeling inside the panicky uh, it, it, there's nothing like it you no. know so you do anything to avoid that yeah i think it actually makes your life shorter so all of you egomaniacal liars stop doing that because you'll live longer you'll live longer if you stop absolutely yeah you know, so, but, but so that that movie was so funny because, of course, you were the best thing in it. You and Ted Danson. Yeah. You know, I saw Ted recently um, at Ed Begley's, and we were talking about that movie, and that was his first role ever. Can you I'm imagine hip. being in that shitty God God bless Chuck Wine, but that horrible film, be your first ever performance? Yeah, <laughs> but he was lucky because he met you. And uh, and he met <laughs> well, me. he met you too. Yeah, and cheers. And he's such a good guy. Such cheers, sweetheart. Cheers. You know, I saw him in Doctor Blackman's office too. That's his doctor. Wow. No, he's an icon. It's you know obviously amazing character, and he's done so beautifully and so well, and done such you know great work. And but that that was a magic vibe, wasn't it? I mean, yes, he was, in the, he was in the party slim. scene. I know. I remember distinctly. You know. It, you know, but there you were, there I was, and I always say, whenever I'm asked about how we met, that it was a moment when I fell in love with you immediately for many, many reasons. A, you're the sexiest girl in the world, but really, to me, you represented America. Yeah. And I wanted a relationship with this beautiful country of ours. And I and I literally had a relationship and have a relationship with yes. the person that I think was the Statue of Liberty in a short dress. Oh, that's you know? sweet. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It, it's um, because you are so intrinsically American. You know, your your daddy was a, a miner. Come on. Yeah, he was a, a Kentucky gold miner. gold miner, my daddy. You know, so, you know, a beer drinking fabulous guy and uh, who I adored, you know, got along really well with, which is ridiculous because I was Marlena Dietrich you know, <laughs> know. compared to you know, your dad. First I time mean, he showed up to meet my mother, he showed up at our door in the valley and he had two bottles of Jack Daniels in each pocket and that silver lame jumpsuit zipped all the way down with rats all in his hair. And my mom took me into the kitchen and said, you're not serious about this one, are you? <laughs> I'll never forget that line. It was so awesome. And I said, actually, yes. I <laughs> but of course, both my parents came to just love you so much. Oh, no, it was great. I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I led such a ridiculous life of like no rules, you know, at all. The free, yeah. liberated life in... Can you imagine the mid 60s in London? I mean, please, it was, you know, the yes. sidewalks were made of velvet, you know, cobblestones, polka dots, Jimmy, <laughs> you know, I mean, the Beatles. And the music, I, oh my Peter, Lord. Peter Green, you know, I mean, actually seeing Peter Green when I was 16, mm -hmm. uh, which is not a poem, but it will be, 
uh, you know, there he was, man, you know, and it was an amazing time. So to come um, to the States and then meet you with, that epitomized a certain uh, America to me and then come out to California and meet with your gold digging, you know, gold minering uh, father and your beautiful, you know, trusting, smart mother was absolutely another well yeah because your upbringing was quite the opposite i had like this idyllic upbringing michael's mother and dad (laughs) were about as far away from oc and margaret that i mean it's impossible to describe it and each other (laughs) and each other yeah Yeah. michael's mom said to michael one time i hope you don't mind me revealing this no that the only time she made love with your dad you were conceived. Yeah. That's I mean, it. That's, yeah. That's yeah. pretty incredible. Well, it's biblical, isn't it? I mean, yes, I feel I feel I feel like Moses or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I should be there should be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Michael. <laughs> yes, it should be. The new band. Oh my lord. No, it was uh. amazing and then they doused me in rosewater. And by the way, illegitimate Yes, illegitimate. When people then used to call married. people used to call me a bastard, I'd go, uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh. Yeah. But you, you had to make up a family when you were in that fancy school. He, he w- went to a fancy, fancy boarding school, which was paid for by an estate of that his father had squandered already, but somehow the money was all, always there in that school for you. So yeah. he went to Repton, which is this incredibly highfalutin school, and his mom was a dancer right was she she was a working girl who had frilly yeah. dresses and, and yeah, she was a, she was a wild thing and mike and his dad was a debauched marquee michael debauched yeah, um, michael debauched yeah crazy. so anyway anyway yeah. so when you came to america it was very different very different yes. situation well, family wise i really felt that i'd come home because everything to me was like fresh in London at that time, you know, we were eating tons of hashish and everything was very like psychedelic and it wasn't real, you know, because we had this money and I was working all the time as an actor and that's an unreal situation to be in. When I came to America, it got real for me because this was a, a young country filled with wildness and experimentation and, um, you know, the 60s and I just fell in love with the whole thing, especially California. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't a Lou Reed guy. You know, I, I felt more like Janis Joplin. Yes, yes, you know I, I mean? was. Yeah, uh, of course. Lou did the... wear boas from time to time. Obviously, Lou. <laughs> oh uh, my God, you you were always dressed up, and you know, Michael also. By the way, he was uh, a child actor. So so when when he when he arrived and had done all these amazing plays and theater and mm. and so when when he showed up the day that Keith Moon didn't show up. He took. He almost took over the the movie. It's called Arizona Slim. It was never released, even though we did have a fabulous premiere. <laughs> um, but he was the best thing in it by far. Oh please! I mean, you know, you well, know, you were. Yeah. Well, son you know, still makes fun of my performance. <laughs> no, well, yeah. you don't have to do too much. You just have to, to be exist, you know. That's star, stardom enough for me um, and for many others, obviously. You know, I mean, what is remarkable, I think, about you um, is many things, but certainly your credibility, your uh, people understanding who you are, what you did, and what your work is, has increased a million fold because your role 
your rock and roll role <laughs> is feminism. And that's yes, and, uh, I pure had no and simple. You, you gave girls and women the opportunity and the injection of love and power to go off and do what they really wanted to do, which was become intimately aware of creative artists. What right. the, what, why that was condemned by Gloria I'm, Steinem? As you know, I have my uh, thing about Gloria Steinem. I, you know, I know there's a movie about her, so what? For me, she was a Playboy bunny who accused you of being a whore. Yeah. This is not cool. This is a woman who is going against women to project yes i know feminism I, is the feminism you know this really pissing me off as you know i wrote her a letter i, I know you know, a letter and said Fuck they're often you, published in papers yeah it was published all over the place because it was a testament as to you are determining what feminism is why you're criticizing somebody who's doing what they want to do freedom yeah, I, I always America. say you know that's feminism is a woman doing what she wants to do exactly and, and, and that's you know, it. And I hope you enjoyed your days as a bunny. Yeah. You Nothing's know. wrong with that either. No. If that's what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Serve drinks. Um, well, God bless her. Great shades. I mean, I loved her shades. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. She was not you know, completely she, obnoxious. She have mellowed by now. I'm you sure she has. I hope she's listening her. to this because that, yeah. that's the only stumble that she had in a career of, of uh, really very important work. career, very important to feminists, you know, and, you know, at the time when I was popping the birth control pill on the Sunset Strip in front of everyone, that was my statement of owning myself, you know, it was yeah. a similar thing. Yeah, but that's huge. People that don't way. understand how important that, that was at that time. Well, they, they, you know, people, I say people. Yes, yes many people do understand many people that. Do. Yeah. And, but yes, it's just another act of being an individual and, and equality. You know, I mean, the fact that you had to fight to be a woman, you know, I mean, imagine what it's like for our um, black brothers and sisters, no, our brown I, brothers and sisters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can't imagine it. Equality and justice and compassion and kindness and coolness and courage, you know, is what we're about. Yep. Unless we're in that color of skin, we don't know. We just have to be supportive as possible. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I, I uh, see the thing about being a DJ on the radio and you're pl I'm playing Sam Cooke and I'm playing, you know, mm, all, love all, it. you know, the it's Temptations zero. and I'm playing Janice and I'm playing, you know, the Stones and I play new bands, you know, gay bands, transgender bands. I don't care. I care about the song. <laughs> you know, oh, the music. You know, and, here. And, that, and that is and really all that matters is who are you? What are you giving? Right now, we have to give everything we've got. I don't care if you're uh, who you are and what sex you are. I don't believe in any of that. And I'm violently opposed, not violently. I'm silent. <laughs> no, I'm not silently. I'm opposed to anything that isn't free. People should be free. Yes, and, and it, they have to be free within themselves first, which that's why we're here to figure that out. Free quality. Yeah, free quality. <laughs> Okay, let's go back to the movie a little yeah. bit. Yeah, because so you yeah. and I were filmed. Um, we went off script in the back of a limousine yeah. and started talking about our yeah. heroes, right? Yes. And we discovered we had three of the same heroes. Which okay, were... let's, num let's number them together, right? Okay. Elvis. <laughs> Elvis comes before Krishnamurti. Okay, Elvis. <laughs> Elvis. 
Chris James Dean and, and Christian Murphy. Yeah. All three of those. We talked about those people in the backseat of a limo. I know, in the middle of a scene of making a movie. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and, and he kept it in. Yeah, Chuck he did. Wine I think drugs were involved. Yes, they were. In fact, I think I was doing cocaine, which is unusual. Very unusual. For I, you. I'm not an addictive personality, but I was doing cocaine that day and I was, I was chewing my mouth off and yeah. i don't know michael somehow he he found one of the grip girls or something and sweet talked her into giving him some downers <laughs> yeah 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 that's how, that's me. what yeah that's what went down and <laughs> I, I, I remember her it went down with a you know a mug of southern comfort as i recall <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, but oh, it was God. a really fun film and we got to know a lot about each other during that we sure did well i felt i was already in, in love you know and then we go to la and silver they're playing the whiskey and you're going out with like three cowboys and... yes i was seeing two different well actually three i was seeing lane cardell who was a cowboy i was seeing waylon jennings and keith moon these were the people i was dating. just spectacular I mean, there's, there, you know, there's a movie right there. Where I met Michael, yeah. and I had to tell each of them that I was engaged. Michael yeah. proposed to me the day we met, even That's though he'd right. been married three weeks to someone else. That is correct. A whole other story. But and I've made amends, ladies and gentlemen, are you? Yes, he's made amends. He's made amends to everyone. <clears throat> but anyway, I had to say goodbye to these people. And, you know, Keith Moon was the one who was the most upset. I never heard from him again. It was, it was, he was really devastated. Yeah, God bless him. Because uh, I, I could soothe him. I have a soothing power. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. I don't know soothing. what it is. I probably got it from my mother because yeah. she's incredibly well, that's in presence. So seductive and motherly at the same time. I mean, that, that is a hell of a combination. You know, um, in a woman uh, and a young woman. How old were you? Twenty-two? No, you were. It was your twenty-sixth birthday, and I was twenty-five. Let's go. Let's take a few years off that. So okay, it let's take better. A, yeah, let's take three or four off. Okay, you were twenty-three, and I was twenty-two. How's that? Perfect. That's perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we would have missed Beatlemania, though. And now writing. we're forty. It's just <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always say I. I hope I go before you. I, I just can't imagine being, you know, oh, on the please. planet without you. Yeah, we're here forever. You know, it's because we've taken so many vitamins. Oh, yeah, we take a lot of vitamins now instead of drugs. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, the vitamins are the new drugs, you know, aren't they? I mean, for, for our tribe, anyway. But, you know, L.A., introduced to L.A., Miss Palette by my side, unbelievable, whiskey, yeah. a go-go tiger. I had the tiger there. You remember oh, yeah. on stage? He had a live tiger on stage, and the, right in the middle of a song, the tiger decided to take a poop. Yeah. And Michael I, grabbed a flower out of some girl's hat in the audience and stuck it in the poop. I did do that. <laughs> That's called art. It's called art. Yes. It's true. It was it's called stuff art. like that, you know. Yeah. No one can even imagine that, even uh. in, in film. Although, in your documentary, there is an image of you with the tiger. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, I had it for, I, I then did a gig with the dolls. Do you remember I did a gig with the New York dolls at Santa Monica Civic? 
Yes, I do in, remember In Los that. Angeles. And, uh, and I had the tiger with me. The thing about the tiger was it was on more drugs than me, and that's a lot. Yes, I know. It was, he and was, so he was, it was very, was very... knocked out. No, yeah. and I didn't know any about anything, what, how those guys... Because there was a guy that looked after the, the tiger. The tiger was a superstar. The tiger was the star of a TV show called Daktari. Oh, and there was a show was about a, yeah, a lion thing like Melanie had, you know, like uh -huh. Melanie Griffith had with, with Tibby Hedren, you know, they had yes. a yes. farm of animals. And this was a similar thing, but this was a TV series about these animals. And, and that's how I found the tiger outside the, the hotel, the Continental Hyatt, the notorious oh, Continental Hyatt. Really? Oh, that's, was in, it was that's in taking a, advantage of the moment, Michael. Oh, yeah. There was a tiger in the back of a funeral thing, funeral car. Whatever yes. you would call hearse. it, yeah, hearse. And um, the, the hearse was covered in flames. And I looked, and we just arrived. I just got out <laughs> the limbo, and we were in the hotel. And I look, and I looked in the window, and there was a tiger in the back of the fucking hearse. And there was a guy in, in the driving seat, dressed like Stuart Granger in some African safari movie. You know, with the hat, with the tiger skin thing on the hat. Yes. And, all. and I went, "Excuse me, can I hire your tiger for a week?" <laughs> I'm sure you did. And he said, oh. he said, how much? I said, I don't know, $500? And then point at the roadie, give him $500. And we took the tiger up into the hotel room, which oh. proves the point that you often make, which was there's no security. There was no security. Oh, yeah. You could oh, go no, backstage. So, different. Could, oh, so we took the tiger. Up. This is the whole band and collectively Silverhead weighed 150 pounds. Yes. You know. Which is what the dog collar and the fucking tiger were. You know, yes. <laughs> a lot of it was makeup. And it was, yes. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it was foundation. And then we <laughs> get up into the hotel and then, you know, just dragged it around for a week. And it, it was such a, and I loved that tiger. I loved it. I used to sleep on the end of the bed, you know. Nobody else slept. The tiger slept. Yes. You know, God knows what the tiger, it must have been traumatized by what it saw. But, you know. It was around that time, too, that. I was seeing Lane Caudell and somehow you got his phone number. I guess it was from Michelle Meyer, right? Yeah. And you called Lane Caudell. Yeah. yeah. Me and I, and he, he handed me the phone. He said, some British guy. And it was like, oh my God. Yes. And he said you were standing on the Hyatt House roof. Yes. And unless I came over there, you were going to jump. Yes. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> exactly what i did called your boyfriend and said if she doesn't come see me i'm dead yeah he's gonna jump off the roof but yeah. didn't happen i did go see him yeah and yeah we got involved. and i always used to say you to went say from goodbye the, to the others you you went from cowboy boots to platform boots yes i did go from cowboy boots to platform boots uh, fabulous and you know he was a very sweet geezer i mean he was one of those quiet beautiful uh, American, you know, singer-songwriter. He was really good too, and I, I, I lost track of Lane. I don't know Lane Caudell. If you're out there, please look me up. Yeah. 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 Well, he was, he was a real charmer. He was a good geezer. Waylon too. Waylon, Waylon was married though with Je to Jesse Coulter, so he was cool about. That's always a problem. Not seeing uh, me anymore. I didn't know this. Of course, you know, in those days, Michael. No, I'm. Happy. No one knew if anyone was married. No one could look anyone up. There was no googling. Well, there people. was some unwritten law that when you went on the road, you weren't married. You know, this sort is of disgusting, misogynistic. Some people understood it and some didn't. And, you know, we could accept it, but we didn't like it. 
you know, the yeah. wives of the girlfriends. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, of course, but, it's absolutely uh, ridiculous to well, even Well, it can't assume. happen now. You know, no. it, was, it was an era, you know, we talk about Laurie Maddox and some of the young girls who were around the bands then, and oh my God, they're getting so much grief now. But it, it's hard to explain the dif the difference in the f in what was what life was like back then. Well, just read your books, you know, and they they get the explanation. You don't deserve. You don't have to give anybody an explanation of the way you lived. No, I was of age too. I yeah, was of it was age. Fun. We had so much fun, and you know, and, and America. We went around the country, didn't we? Didn't we go like to Atlanta? We, you came. Oh the yeah. I remember yeah. we had we found pubic hairs in the sink of our motel. I remember which that. is the title of your next <laughs> book, which is very exciting. <laughs> in pubic hairs in the sink. We yeah, pubic hairs, and and I had to remember I I couldn't get a ticket home. I was stuck in Atlanta. Ben Edmonds. Here. Ben Edmonds, our friend from Cream Cream Magazine. Lent us the decided money. to, he says, is there anything you can sell me? And I said, well, Mick Jagger gave me this outfit he wore in performance. He's oh, great. Uh, send me that and we'll auction it off. And I'll give you the money for the ticket. Um, so he sent me a ticket. I've forgotten all about that. That's pretty cool. amazing because we were just some punky band on the road in, in Mascara, you know, rocking and rolling. Yes. We, you uh, know, playing these clubs. At I remember it so Hansa. vividly. He's Silverhead was such oh. a great band. Yeah, fantastic. My favorite. I won't say underrated. No, no, no. That would be terrible. Because um, there are many, many people who uh, adore Silverhead and people like David Lee Roth who totally copied your image and your movements and everything else. I always say that I'd never address that. I, I think David Lee Roth is fantastic. David Lee Roth is fantastic, but I do believe he got a lot from you. Yeah, I think we all learn from each other, you know. Yes, I really do. Yes, I'm not being yes. political. I'm not, you know, I'm attempting not to be political because I know that I, I suppose, I think the one guy that had the most impression on me was Terry Reed. Just singing vocally, Terry Reed seemed to me to be the best guy. If you're not familiar with Terry, Terry Reed, yeah, was the best singer. It's funny, he called me today. I do believe. He wants to, his wife called and said he wants to talk to me about Mercy. I think he's just yeah, trying to be nice. I'm sure. He's a sweetheart. Oh, oh my a, God. He's a, but he, not only he was, was 18 when I met him. Well, he was 15 when I met him, so there. And I met him in London, <laughs> um, in, you know, in a club. And he's a, a year or two older than me, and I was 16. And he was playing a, a Les Paul through a Marshall stack. And he had a purple satin shirt on and white jeans. Well, you remember so vividly. And I couldn't believe this guy. No, this guy for you guys out there was the chap that Jimmy Page wanted to sing in Led Zeppelin. Yes, his name he, was, he was his first Reed. pick. And because he was a guitar player and a singer in his own power trio at the time and very, very experimental, his music was not uh, the normal bluesy-based Rolling Stonesy stuff. It was very, very, I think, more American-oriented than uh, British rock and roll. And he just didn't want to do that. He wanted to play guitar and be himself. And he said, but he said, "Hey, Jimmy, I've got this guy. His name's Robert Plant. He's really good. You should yeah. try him." Yeah, and that's, that's what yeah. went down. Yeah, and Terry moved to California. Now he lives in, in Palm Desert. Yeah. And I see him every once in a while. He still performs, but man, his voice. I forgot about it. His version of Waterloo Sunset oh. by the Kinks is 
Some, one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It life. really is. And even doing when he did Bang Bang. Bang yeah. Bang. Oh, my yeah. God. It was, was what? Yeah. What a version of Bang Bang. Anybody, else, you guys all listening out here, you're lucky you're hearing this conversation between Michael and I. Go check out Terry Reed. Yeah, because, I mean, that music is something. I mean, I'm very into covers and interpreting songs, reinterpreting songs. I've been doing it a lot for Steve Van Zandt's label, Wicked Cool. He signed me to his label and I've been done Stop in the Name of Love from the Supremes. But we did it like Vanilla Fudge, very tough, you know, very hard. We want to um, play some of these so uh, on the show. Which which songs would you like us to... Stop in the Name of Love, for one thing. Stop um, in the Name also, of Love. Also, since we spoke about Dylan, you could play Serve Somebody. Serve which, Somebody, absolutely. Which is a great version of it. And of course, um, you know, I, I, I love doing cover songs. I really do. And the song that I wrote... What's Going On, too, is pretty great. What's Going On, I did. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. But the song that I really am proud of this year is the duet that I did with the great Kenya Raven, which is yes. called Where Did All the Lovers Go, which is a very 60s soul duet, you know. And you wrote but it. I did. And it's um, it's sort of very inspired by Stephen Van Zandt's love of soul music, which then got me in, deeply involved in soul music. Um, and it's an homage to the great duets, Tammy and Marvin, you know, and all yes, of those wonderful yes, duets. Yes. And um, you guys check it out. Maybe you, we can play it here. Where Did All the Lovers Go, you know. Um, yeah, we'll play it. I also covered Anarchy in the UK. Oh know. my gosh, it's such an amazing version. We've got to hear some of that. Yeah, and that was very interesting because I love the Sex Whistles. They changed my way of thinking in terms of music when I saw them in San Francisco, the final gig, even yes, though it was- you actually saw them. I did, yeah, as you know. People say they saw them, but you actually did. <laughs> yeah, and Steve and Paul were in the same hotel, and coming down the car uh, the corridor, Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols and Paul Cook, the drummer of the Sex Pistols, were walking towards me. And the first thing Jones did goes, "Yeah, I used to steal." 
Silver Ed Records. <laughs> and of course, I fell in love with him right there. You know? <laughs> yeah, Steve. Steve became a family member. He was our yep. roommate for quite some time. Yep. I have photos of him showing Nick when he was like in his little PJs at five. How to play guitar. Chords. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I love Steve Jones. Steve Jones is a magnificent human being and uh, one of the smartest people I ever knew. Yeah. And still remains that. So, Speaks uh, the that truth, way. too. He doesn't yeah. know how not He wouldn't know how to, you know, lie. <laughs> it wouldn't even begin to enter his head. Now, I'd also like to play, you know, a Silverhead cut. So tell us which one of those, what, Rolling With My Baby or Hello, New York or what? I think the key song that it seems to be historically a 16 and Savaged. Yes, yeah, 16 because, and Savaged. you know, it was the title of the second album. It was after our experiences in America, which I'd fallen in love with, but I saw what was happening to the youngins and how they, that they were being abused, you know, and that uh, the culture itself didn't even understand or care about teenagers. Yeah. Um, you, you're either a kid or you're an adult, but it became very clear to me that through rock and roll music, um, young young teenagers could become people. And then I saw, wait a minute, Hollywood, you know, is taking advantage and, and these girls think they have to wear fishnets and do all this. So, you know, I mean, this is all after the, I've already exposed myself to that world, if you'll pardon the pun, you yes. know, but 16, <laughs> and, 16 and Savage is a really anthemic uh, in terms of the times. It's based around the Sunset Strip and uh, yep. there was blood all over it, man. Okay, let's hear that. Yep, yep. The, that was a t the 70s. It was definitely not the 60s in Hollywood. Wow. That, no, it's yeah. difference in drugs, I think. Oh, yeah, difference in drugs. It went from pot and psychedelics to right. coke and heroin. And, right. Yeah. Things got psychotic. Things got yeah. real, you know, on a really uh, addiction level. And I thought, whoa, no, 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 you know. But it took me a little while to suss it out, you know. I remember that day he went to that first meeting and that was like a life-changing day. It was June 19th of 1981. Yep. Not that I remember. I know. I know. Our little boy was almost three. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. It was shockingly cool, you know. Yes, it was. But the whole journey for both of us has been amazing. You've become this, you know, global superstar in terms of literature five books you know and i know that you're working on two more that are mind-blowing i don't know if you can talk yeah, about i can't it. talk about yeah one of them i can't talk about yet but i am writing a third memoir 
uh, Sex, God, and Rock and Roll about my spiritual life, which has coincided from the, t- I mean, I was born again at eight years old and all the way up to like yesterday when I was praying to mercy. I yeah. Was, I was asking mercy, how you doing, honey? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's my spiritual quest in my spiritual life. It's, and it's a great subject and people will go crazy when they, you know, have the opportunity to be able to feel that way. You know, yes, to say spirituality, oh, okay. you, yeah. you know, your form of spirituality is a is a rock and roll spirituality. It's not got this sacredness to it. It's it's how one should live. Like you took me to see Krishnamurti in Ohio. Yes, right? for some, several and, times. What a you know, I'd be loaded on heroin and going. You know what? This guy's really cool. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> just so insanely interesting. You know that I remember sitting and listening under the huge oak. Yeah. Being the moment now, this is the only moment that we have is right now. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, and how frustrated he'd get. Are you getting this? Are you hearing yeah, this? It yeah. was, it was so amazing to be in the presence of that. Yeah, and, and he would get just so frustrated, as you said, and it was it was so interesting. And, and one would be so high for like the next hour. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah, you floated oh, away. You know, I got away. that. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And then, and then got it. <laughs> an hour later, you're in Hollywood and you're going, oh, God, what a life. <laughs> Speaking know. of another great experience we shared was seeing Elvis. Yeah. For the, for actually, I had seen him once before, but with Zeppelin. We, we went to Ve- with Zeppelin. Yeah. But we went to Vegas. Yeah. It was so cute. We were so innocent, really, because, yeah. you know, they put us way in the back. They yeah. held no hotel. Not for long. And we sat there across from each other and said, I wonder if we gave him a tip if we could move down a little. And so you handed him 20 bucks and he put us halfway down. Yeah. And you said, I should have given him 50. We would have yeah. been on the stage. Yeah, yeah sitting next to the drummer. <laughs> Ronnie Tut, I think was well, his name. What a thrill to see him. It was insane because both of us, were enslaved by Elvis. By Elvis from day one. I mean, that was the first guy. I saw this guy. Uh, It was Jailhouse Rock era. 60, I don't know what it would be. 50, 59, 58. Yeah, Yeah. So then I went, no, please. I want that. I I want to do that. Same here. I want that. I said, I want that too. (laughs) Yeah, you wanted that in one way. (laughs) I wanted wanted to sing like that. But, um, and move like that, or even not even those things, but just be like that. Just be like that. Be like that. Be that free and that liberated and that, that rocking, you know. And, and then later, of course, one did one's, um, you know, schoolwork on why Elvis became Elvis. But um, it was an amazing thing that we both connected so hardcore. So in the hard back of that limo Elvis. in New York, in that movie that we did together, and then to go to Vegas on yes. our honeymoon to see Elvis. Yes, it was so incredible. And he, we, you know, we actually saw his last performance in Vegas. That was his last night in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, James Burton was in the, in the lobby, as you recall, the guitar player. Oh, yeah. What a memory you have. Yeah. Well, James Burton is everything. You know, I mean, he was What a band. Ridiculous. Ronnie Tut, is that, was that the drummer? I can't remember. And he never lost his voice. Oh, no. He never lost his voice. What was your favorite song that he sang? Treat me nice. Right. It's no, my favorite I, song. That gig, at that gig. Oh, that gig. Oh, I don't know. One of his big giant I know what it was. It um, was it was Mickey Newberry's American Trilogy. Oh, the American Trilogy, right. 
Yeah. And and he would also he would come out to that music. Yeah. The sound of that. No, oh. that's a CC Ryder. Oh, God, you, Michael's memory is getting a little sharper than mine. Uh-oh. Yeah, it came I out better take Ryder. my jellyfish supplement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, because his voice, even though he was, yeah, I remember when he walked on stage and he was in the white jumpsuit and the, the cape, and it was so shocking to see him that big, how big he was, you know, how massive he looked. Um, yes, but and, he sang. Uh, and within five minutes, all you heard was the voice. I know. Because his voice never failed him. Never, never failed, failed him. him. If you listen to the, watch the YouTube videos of him in the final days, Ugh. he, you know, obviously looks like he's in really, really bad shape. The voice, however, was as clear as a bell to I the know. day he died. Love him so. I just saw what time it is. We've been gabbing for an hour. Oh. Uh, I, yeah. I, I also, I do want to play a snippet of the song that you got the title of your movie from. Obsession. Obsession, yeah. yeah. Michael wrote Obsession yeah. with our friend Holly Knight. And yeah. it has really brought him a whole lot of money through the years. <laughs> Build the coffers, <laughs> darling. But, yes. But but the line, who do you want me to be, was so perfect for, you'll, you'll see when you watch the documentary, um, who do you want me to be, the Michael DeBar story. And it, he has 127 five-star reviews. So I- 140 more by now. today. 140 but as of today. 104 today. Wow. Five it stars. is such an incredible piece. Please watch it. Yeah, because you'll fall in love with him just like I did. And, oh, what a beautiful thing to say! And it is just wonderful. And you're the greatest, Michael. And you know, so we're gonna hear a little. We're gonna we're gonna say goodbye to you on the wave of obsession. How's that? Sounds good to me. Okay, thank you. Mwah. You are an obsession. I cannot sleep. I am a possession. No balance, no equality. Be still, I will not accept defeat. I will have you, yes, I will have you. I will find a way, and I will have you like a butterfly. A wild butterfly, I will collect you and capture you. You are obsession, you're my obsession. So how was that? I don't think there's anyone more charming on this earth than Michael Debar. He must have, we've talked about his IQ for, oh, since 1974 when we met on his birthday, um, because it must be huge. Just the words he uses, fantastic. Um, you know, I've been pretty sad lately because I lost one of my dearest friends and I just wanna remind you dolls to listen to Miss Mercy's podcasts, the ones I did two with her. That's how scintillating she is. Was, unfortunately. Mercy passed away a week ago, and um, I will miss her. You know, she's like part of myself. Um, we, we met in 69, 68, actually. So I sure am going to miss her, and I love her so much.
And thanks for tuning in, dolls. And I will see you soon. Listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts, Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram, and Pantheon Pods on Twitter. January 1978, a 19-year-old singer-songwriter has released her debut single. Those notes you just heard were the first notes of music that the world ever heard from a young British woman. And with that debut song, she influenced a whole new generation of female singers and showed what women in music could really do. Kate Bush. Hi, I'm Cecily, your host of the podcast Strange Phenomena, the Music of Kate Bush. In this podcast, I'm discussing the history and story of every song that Kate Bush has ever produced in order, album by album. And every episode features a fan or two talking about why they love that song so much. We talk about not just the big hits. but also the B-sides and her collaborations. So come join me on a journey through the extensive catalog of the one and only Kate Bush. Available now wherever you get your podcasts and a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.